Please turn this morning then to our text, which comes from Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. We'll be looking at chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Hear with me then the reading of God's Word. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with the pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, that we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Thus far as the reading of God's Word. I read that it was said that a pastor should not only act with the dignity of a man, but he should act with the dignity of a man who acts by the authority of God. And yet, how sadly, this is not the case. As dignity, as defined, is the state or quality of being worthy of respect. And how often ministers today act in an undignified fashion. They act in a way unbecoming of an ambassador of God, one who represents Christ. For this office of pastor-elder is a divinely called office. An office that we seen last week, Paul said, was entrusted with the Gospel. As the minister has really been called to the highest position of service that one can hold. They've been entrusted with the Gospel, charged with proclaiming the Gospel. And as they do so, they are being used by God as a, as a vehicle to declare this message and to save sinners as they are then transferred into the kingdom of God's glorious Son. And so if you think about it, really, what greater service is there on this earth than that? We all love, respect, and honor all those men and women who protect us each and every day. Right? Uh, the firefighters, police, Military. Yet what they do is they they protect our our physical bodies. They protect us in that way from harm. But this is why the role of the minister is even a greater act of service. For the minister is tasked with overseeing the very souls of people. As his purpose is to be that channel by which God's Word is communicated to His people in order that the lost would be saved. Yet, so we know that there's nothing inherently great about the minister. We know that God, if He chose to, could act by any means He wanted to. He doesn't need the pastor. God could use any means to to save someone. Yet, as we have learned through Scripture, it is the minister that God has used as an ordinary means by which He acts and saves. It is that preach word going forth. And so if the ministers today stop preaching the word, 
What they are effectively doing is shutting the door to the kingdom, to those who come each and every Sunday to hear the Word. Or for those who were saved somewhere else and now sit under a minister such as that. What is happening is their growth and sanctification is being stalled. It is being stopped. As it is the role of the pastor to not only preach to to seek and to save the lost, but he is also called to preach so that those who already believe would grow in faith and be strengthened. And if you think about it, that is really Paul's primary purpose in writing all of these letters. Right? He writes that they, these churches would be well-ordered, that they would be united in the faith. He writes to them, telling them of the knowledge he has, of their sincerity of faith. He writes to rebuke them. He writes to encourage them to greater constancy of faith by teaching them that they might be presented mature in Christ. And so for the pastor who has integrity, who is morally upright, this leans heavy upon him. Knowing this task that he is charged with, being in, having care over immortal souls, this weighs heavy upon one who has integrity. Yet for others, for those who lack integrity, who are not morally upright, this appears to not have much of an effect on them. We've seen in recent years very famous ministers who have proved themselves to be no minister at all. I will not name names. But what I will say is, in recent time, we had one famous pastor who was forced to resign from office because it was found out that he was continually abusive to the other officers in the church, highlighted by vulgarity and threats. Yet what did he do? He just moved to a different part of the country and started his own church. Or we had another pastor who recently was found out to have cheated on his wife with women in the congregation. And he actually goes to a... And as he should. Yet what did he do to circumvent the confessional standards? He went off and just started his own church. You see, these men and others like it, they may call themselves pastors. They may call themselves ambassadors of Jesus Christ. They may have churches filled with people, but they are no ministers at all. As pastors, don't have self-commissioned authority. God has never granted to ministers that. Rather, ministers are under the authority of God, called by the church. Or else, why in the world would Paul say this? In Romans chapter 10, verse 14 and 15. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Paul says they were sent. You can't be self-sent. You can't make yourself a herald of the Gospel of Christ. And even if you were to give yourself those titles, pastor, teacher, elder, ambassador, messenger, missionary, they are certainly not legitimate titles. You can't be an ambassador for someone who's never called you to be their ambassador. Let me give you an example. If I came in here today and said, I work for Google, 
I work for Google. And I can tell you that and tell you that until I'm blue in the face. But does it make it true? It doesn't make it true. And how do you know that it's not true? Well, I don't have Google's backing. Google's not going to help me. They're not going to provide me any aid. I can't speak to the head of Google. He won't answer my call and he certainly won't talk to me. And even if I go to Google's office and I scream, I'm an ambassador of Google. Let me in. They will carry me away. They will not let me in. Similar then to this is the ministry of those who were not called to steward the gospel, yet take it upon themselves to do so anyway. They have no backing from God. He doesn't supply them aid and bless their ministry. They don't have the Spirit. They can't discern spiritual truth. They aren't being fed and nourished by Christ. They have no promise that He will listen to them. They are not given access to God. This is what the Lord said by the mouth of the prophet Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 21, after Jeremiah pronounces a woe upon the prophets who destroy and scatter the sheep of Israel, Jeremiah says that the Lord did not send the prophets, yet they ran. He says, I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. And then in verse 32, he goes on to say, Behold, I am against those who prophesy lying dreams, declares the Lord, and who tell them and lead My people astray by their lies and their recklessness, when I did not send them or charge them. So they do not profit this people at all, declares the Lord. See, God is not with people such as these. And not only is He not with them, God says, I am against those people. What's unfortunate today is that we live in a culture that looks high upon those who appear successful. So the minister who has this large church, people esteem and value highly. But the the missionary who was sent out by his church, who has 10, 15, 20 people in a church in Africa or Asia or South America, and they meet in the basement somewhere, he's not esteemed very high. He's not looked at as successful in our culture. Because the pastor who has the huge church is the one that we assume must be the godly man. He must be the one who has a deep and close relationship with God. That's why people think that's why his church is so large. God has blessed him. But in fact, the size of his church has nothing to do with him being an ambassador of God. Instead, maybe it means he's just a great performer. Maybe he's a good entertainer. Maybe he knows how to put on a good performance. Maybe he's a good orator. Right? Maybe he's a good speaker. But the size of his church tells us nothing about the godliness of the man, nor does it tell us anything about the veracity of his calling. For oftentimes, if we were to take off our cultural glasses and put on our spiritual glasses, we would see that churches, in churches where the ministers lack integrity, that they and the people under them, although vast and wide in number, are often shallow in their knowledge of the faith. There is no real depth there. And you know why that is? Because God has not blessed that ministry. But this obviously is not the case with the Apostle Paul. And it was his ministry and his integrity that he sought to defend here in our text this morning. 
as he describes to them, to the saints in Thessalonica, what he and Timothy and the other saints and apostles were like when they came to them. And then he also goes on then to describe what they weren't like when they came to them. And so we're getting, in fact, two pictures here this morning from the Apostle Paul. And so this will be the starting point for our two points this morning. The first point describes those who lack integrity. The first point describes those who lack integrity. And the second point describes what pastoral integrity actually looks like. So Paul begins saying what they weren't like in verses 5 and 6. He says this, For we never came to you with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. You see, here there are really four things Paul points out characterizes the false teacher. Or four things that characterize the pastor who lacks integrity. They speak words of flattery. They're greedy. They seek their own glory. And they make lofty demands of the saints. And so we'll go over each one of these one by one. So first, the pastor who lacks integrity speaks words of flattery. What is it that Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3? For the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Isn't this true? Isn't this true? Yet, men and women have sought to capitalize off that, haven't they? They've said, people don't like to hear the, 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 the law. People don't want to hear about their sin and their misery. That brings people down. So now what have church leaders sought to do? They've sought to do away with the law. You don't hear about it anymore in churches. They say, we're only going to preach about grace. This is what draws people in. This is what brings in the numbers. But what harm that does, as Paul tells us, that it is through the law that comes the knowledge of sin. And so any preacher who refuses to preach the law really empties the cross of all of its meaning. For what is the purpose that Christ had come to die? What is the reason that you and I need any grace at all? It is because of our sin. It is because of our sin. We don't have good news if we don't see ourselves as sinful, wretched, miserable people who need the good news. And so now you have churches full of people who are ignorant of their own sinfulness, who have no sorrow over their sin. And if they have no sorrow over their sin, what does that mean? There can be no repentance. And if there is no repentance, there can be no true, genuine, saving faith. And so what is that? So what should that teach us? What should we learn from this, brothers and sisters? That we must proclaim the whole counsel of God. We must proclaim the whole counsel of God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech and wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. 
You see, we should not be ashamed of our God. We should not be ashamed of Christ or the crucifixion of Christ or the message of the Gospel. Instead, we need to be preaching everything that has been revealed to us by God in His Word, even if that doctrine is unpopular. Even if that might upset some people who sit amongst us in the congregation. Because we don't seek to please men, but to please God. What does Paul say? He was an apostle of Christ Jesus, commissioned by God. He wasn't an apostle of men, commissioned by men. And so his loyalty laid with God. It is Him that he sought to please. It is God that you and I should seek to gain our affirmation from, not men. And so what does that mean? If the minister knows that a member in his congregation is in some sort of sexual sin, it means he preaches those texts. He doesn't skip over them. Knowing that if that person is a true believer, as that word is preached, the Holy Spirit is going to sear his conscience and he is going to repent and turn from that sin. This is the reason that we preach to strengthen, to build up the saints. They need to hear that rebuke. They need to hear the truth of Christ so that they would learn and be taught to walk worthy in the manner of the Lord, to turn away from all forms of sin and ungodliness. If you only tell people what they want to hear, you're not helping them. You're not building them up. You're not giving them what they need. Next then, Paul says that ministers who lack integrity, are greedy. They have a worldly appetite, a worldly desire for material wealth and gain. Yet, greed and gain are the very opposite of the Gospel. Haven't we learned this from Judas Iscariot? He desired money. He desired wealth at all costs. We were told he was the the treasurer amongst the saints. He He carried the money, yet He stole from them. Yet also in desiring wealth, what else did He do? He sold out Christ the Savior for 30 pieces of silver. Yet, how much do ministers today sell out Christ Jesus for? A Lamborghini? A mansion? A jet? You see, sinfulness continues even today for we are depraved. Covetousness is a grave sin for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, we are told. You see though, this this is what happens when the minister is grounded not in the Word, but in the world. He sees what's going on in the world. And he wants it. He wants a piece of that. He sees all the pleasures that the world offers. And instead of focusing his time and attention on God's Word and God's people, he's focusing his time and attention on gaining the same things they have. Yet this was not so with Paul. This was not so with Peter. This was not so with John the Baptist. They didn't have much, nor did they want it. How can a minister actually preach about greed and covetousness and not loving the world when they themselves 
Don't demonstrate that in their life. Who wants to listen to someone like that? It's obvious to all that they're a hypocrite. How can you preach about uh, not storing up things on earth for yourself when the ministers today have the same things that millionaires and CEOs of Fortune 500 companies have? But we're told Paul took nothing from these saints. He took nothing from the saints in Thessalonica. And it isn't that he couldn't or that he shouldn't. Obviously, uh, someone who labors is worthy of wages. But you see, Paul's concern and desire was for them and to help them. He had no concern for himself. He wasn't thinking, what can I squeeze out of these people? Paul was happy to live plainly, to live a plain life, and to use his mind, his body, and his time to advance the kingdom of God and not his own pockets. May we have the same mind in us, brothers and sisters, that we wouldn't put earthly things on a pedestal and spend our time, waste our time, thinking about them. That we wouldn't even give them time in our minds because we would see them as being so invaluable and worthless to us. Because we know God's going to give us what we need. He'll provide to us all we need. Why spend time thinking about these things? As the purpose of the church is to bring God glory, not to exercise our things in, in all those things that God hates and despises and He calls an abomination. And so this leads us then into the next characteristic of the minister who lacks integrity. Paul says they seek their own glory. Was it not God who said, I will give my glory to no other? And yet today, how often ministers are seeking to take God's glory. How many ministers today are driven by ambition and notoriety? Yet Paul knew that to take glory upon himself would to be to distract people from the glory of God. It would be to detract from the glory of God. And Paul in no way wanted to engage in that. Right? Was it not John the Baptist who said, I must decrease that Christ may increase? Any true saint desires this, that God receive all the glory. Yet, do you know what that means? Do you know what that means? It means forgetting yourself. You must forget yourself. You must think lowly of yourself. You must be guarded against pride because if we are honest, pride is easily filled up within each one of us. But if we know that, if we recognize that, if we understand our own weaknesses and sinfulness, then we can turn to God and pray that He might aid us, that He might destroy all of those vestiges of pride and sin that remain hidden in our hearts. That we might that He might give us hearts that desire His glory alone. That He might provide us with discernment so that we would know to not put ourselves in situations that might stir up pride within us. This is what the Apostle Paul did, which is the opposite of what ministers who lack integrity will do. For in seeking glory, they also would make lofty demands of the saints, we are told. You see, Paul says that he could have made demands of these saints in the end of verse 6. He could have made them, he said. He could have sought glory. But he didn't. And you know why he didn't? 
Because Paul exercised self-denial. He exercised self-denial knowing that self-denial is a means by which we beat down pride. The minister who lacks integrity indulges and takes and takes no matter what harm it does to the church. They want and they want and they are unwilling to deny themselves because they think undeserving of this. This is what you owe to me for what I am doing. And although Paul was deserving of so much, he voluntarily gave it all up. He didn't care to please himself, but rather he was there to serve Christ and to serve the saints. Paul's delight was found in winning souls. This past week I read through this book by Charles Bridges on Christian ministry. And in speaking on self-denial, he describes this missionary who was said to have become so nailed to the cross that the grandeurs of this world were unto him just as they would be to a dying man. Let me read that one more time. It was said of this missionary that he was so nailed to the cross of Christ that the grandeurs, all the great things of this world were unto him the same thing that they would be to a dying man. Nothing. They meant nothing. Have we gotten to that point in our lives, brothers and sisters, where our joy and our excitement are found in serving Christ and we would happily give up anything for Him because He means so much to us and all these earthly things mean so very little. Where our joy and our contentment isn't found and whether we have something or we don't have it. But we must learn then this through self-denial. This is how we learn to get to that point. Self-denial. This is what it means to be a Christian. Self-denial. Right? Christ gave up His life for us so that we, by His grace, will give up all for Him. So we see, brothers and sisters, here the, the ways in which ministers lack integrity. They speak words of flattery. They're greedy. They seek their own glory. And they make lofty demands of the saints. But now Paul turns to describe to us what pastoral integrity actually looks like in positive terms. So this is our second and final point. Look at verses 7 and 8. As he says, But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children, so being affectionately desirous, desirous of you, we were ready to not only share the gospel of God, but ourselves, because you had become very dear to us. The first verse here describes what these saints were like, and the second verse describes to us how it was displayed. So they were like nursing mothers, verse 7. And how were they like nursing mothers? In verse 8, we're told they shared the gospel and they shared of themselves. Now think of it, how a mother acts with her newborn child. Think about that. How does a mother act with her newborn child? She stays up late, nursing the child to sleep. She wakes up multiple times in the evening to feed the child and to change their diaper. She teaches the child. 
She feeds them so, they, so that they might grow. Right? She gives all of herself to that young child, even to her own detriment. Oftentimes the mother doesn't get the things she needs. She doesn't get proper sleep, doesn't eat properly, doesn't get to wash her hair enough, usually has spit up and drool on her clothes. But it is because she has no concern for herself. Because she is so consumed and concerned with her young child. This described Paul's ministry to the saints here in Thessalonica. He didn't have concern for himself. He was so concerned for these saints. And how was that displayed? Well, he came sharing the gospel. They came preaching the word, knowing that this was of first importance. This was of first importance, for it is the gospel that provides to them life in believing that message. The gospel, we are told, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And so if a minister doesn't preach the gospel, if he doesn't preach God's word, what he's really doing is he's not feeding the flock. In fact, he's starving them. And what would we think of a mother who starved her child? We would think of her as a a wicked mother, wouldn't we? That's no different from the minister who refuses to preach the true gospel, to preach the word. He is wicked and is useless and is of no value to Christ. But Paul feeds the flock, knowing that apart from the spiritual food, they would die. Because Paul knows that life for you and I is found in Christ. Yet it is the Christ proclaimed to us in the Gospel. Yet, pastoral integrity also consists in not only faithfully proclaiming the Gospel and sharing the Gospel and sharing God's Word, but it also consists in sharing themselves with them. You see, ministers share their time. They share their energy. They share their very life with the congregation, willing to give that life up for them. If a minister is not willing to do this, then he should not seek ministry. If he does not have a servant's heart, then he certainly has not been called by God to this service. Because remember what we said earlier, this office is the highest service one can carry out for the benefit of their neighbor. As it is a physically, a mentally, a spiritually, and emotionally taxing role. Paul will tell us next week in verse 9 how he toils night and day for these saints. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 29, Paul says, For this I toil, struggling with all energy that God powerfully works within me. You see, ministry is a, is a struggle. It's not easy. Ministry is a struggle. It's not easy. This is why there is such a high burnout rate today with young ministers. They come out of seminary and they think everything's going to be sunshine and butterflies. They think they're going to walk into these churches and there's just going to be hundreds of people in them. But we know, especially in our circles, that's, that's not the case. Uh, a Reformed Baptist megachurch is 100, 200 people maybe. <laughs> we don't have big numbers. Plus, it doesn't help that the minister himself is imperfect. The minister's imperfect. And each member of the congregation is imperfect. And so the minister has to deal with quarreling, 
infighting, right? sin issues, discipline issues, preparing sermons, doing visitations, all while having members of the church talk about how they could do it so much better. Right? Having the men nudge their wives in church going, I could, I could give that sermon way better than he's doing. And don't think I haven't seen some of you men nudge your wives this morning. But all of this is worth it to the minister who has been called by God for this purpose. This is why the Apostle Paul wouldn't just throw his hands up and give up when he was dealing with the church in Corinth or the church in Galatia. No, he was enlisted to preach the Gospel in order that he might present the mature in Christ, no matter how frustrating it could be at times. And this is true with our own mothers, isn't it? Going back to that analogy that Paul used. We can frustrate our mothers to death. We can cause them grief and heartache and stress when we get in trouble. But our mothers, what do they do? They pick us up. They're there to help us. They're there to teach us. To not leave us alone. These things too characterize the minister who has pastoral integrity. Yet, just because we're talking about pastoral integrity today doesn't mean that this is meaningless to you. You might say, well, what does this have to do with me? You can learn much from this. First, you can learn to be good to your pastor. Don't drive him crazy. Also, just as the minister is to show great care to the flock, you should mimic that. You should mimic that. As the minister is called to be holy... Yet that is something that we are all called to. All of us have been called to be holy for God is holy. All of us have been called to walk in purity of life. To walk as those worthy of Christ. To love one another by sharing the Word, by sharing ourselves with one another and helping one another. By using our gifts in the church to benefit the church. Yet also, what's as important, if not more important, is we have been charged with the task of praying for one another. Especially praying for our minister. That you would pray to God that he would both outwardly as well as inwardly be a man of integrity. That as he's dealing with his own sin issues, as he's dealing with putting to death sin in his own life, pray that he would not be entangled or ensnared by the devil. Pray that he would not become a prideful man or a, a man-pleaser. That he would not become greedy. That he would not abandon the Gospel and the Word of God for words of flattery. But rather by the Spirit and by the divine call, he would simply proclaim the Gospel. That he would share the Word of God. He would, that he would share himself with the church in order that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be glorified in honor forevermore. Please bow your heads with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, it seems like pastoral integrity is something harder and harder to come by as we hear of countless stories of ministers who have abandoned the faith, who have abandoned the Gospel, who have abandoned their charge and turn to a life of sin and immorality. Father, I pray this day for 
myself, for our elder Bill, for other ministers that we know, that, Father, you would grant to us that strength and that moral uprightness that we need, that we too would not fall into such grave sin, that we would not turn our backs upon Christ, but, Father, rather by the Spirit's aid, we would live a life that is a life of integrity before the congregation, that we would be those who mimic and imitate the life of Christ. And Father, we pray that likewise for each and every individual in our church, that Father, they too would walk in a manner worthy of the calling, that we wouldn't be those who seek to please men, but rather we would be those who please Christ our Savior. And Father, we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.